0: Well, today I want to um, kind of pick up where we left off last week. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, if you remember that we looked at it. He said to the Father, He said, Father, I, I, I I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you will keep them from the evil one while they're in the world. And last week when we looked at the John chapter 17 prayer, we saw there that Jesus' prayer for the church, for you and I, in the times that we live, in the culture that we're in right now, that he prayed for us to be a witness in the world, that we would walk, always walk in the truth of the word, and that we would win in the warfare of life, in in this thing that we call spiritual warfare. Today, today I want to begin a series that's entitled Storming the Gates of Hell. That's the title of the series that I'm going to uh, start here today. And this is a series on the spiritual warfare, the battles, the battle of life, the battles of life that you and I go through. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go through a kind of spiritual boot camp, I guess, if you will. We're going to, we're going to um, hopefully kind of <clears throat> relearn this idea of what it means to be a soldier in God's army. Uh, with the idea of, of uh, be getting retrained in the basics of our warfare in order to be released into victory in the battles that you and I face in our lives. And so I will tell you right now, I'm going to be kind of all over the place, but the 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 center place that we're going to be coming from is the Ephesians chapter 6 passage. We're going to be spending a little bit every week coming out of that passage. We're going to read today Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12. And then if you have your Bibles and you might want to open them up there, we're going to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 5. Today In this beginning, uh, opening message on this series, I want to talk about our attitude. Everybody say attitude. Sometimes we need to get an attitude adjustment. And today I want to talk about the attitude, which when I talk about attitude, we're talking about our mindset, the way we think about life, the way we approach life, especially where it concerns the battles of life that we're going through. And we're, how many of you know, we're in a warfare. We're in a warfare right now. How many of you know that? And we are all facing battles right now. Well, uh, just because, you know, you have a bad attitude doesn't mean things are going to change. In fact, that may prolong the agony. We need to, you know, really think about our mood and the way that we go into the warfare, and so we're going to talk about this. I want to begin by looking at Ephesians chapter six, verses ten through twelve, and let's look at that together. If that's on there, uh, is that pass? There we go. And Paul writes, and he says, "Finally, my brother, be finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles." of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against the spiritual or yeah the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places so that's that's kind of the where i want us to look at paul said put on the full armor so that you are able to stand, to stand, to have an attitude of standing. He says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. Put on the strength of God. Walk in the strength of God. And then, if you want to look over at First Chronicles chapter 5, and you want to follow along as I read aloud to you, and I'm going to read a passage out of the Old Testament where we're going to spend some time there. And it says in verse 18 that the sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 valiant men, men able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with the bow, and skillful in warfare who went to war. They made war with the Hagrites, Jeter, Naphish, and Not and Nodab. And they were helped against them, and the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer, because they put their trust in Him. Then they took away their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 of their sheep, and 2,000 of their donkeys, also one hundred thousand of their men for many fell dead because the war was God's everybody say the war is God's (laughs) and they dwelt in their place until the captivity and so that's the reading of the word and I just pray Lord today that you would equip us and train us and Raise us up, Lord, especially in this area of how we think about the battles that we're going through. I pray, Lord, that we get an attitude adjustment today in the truth of your word in the battles that we're facing right now. In Jesus' name, and everybody says amen. Amen. Now, this idea of storming the gates of hell, that comes from the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. Notice those words. I, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, notice very carefully that the church is the prevailing Advancing offensive force, not the gates of Hades. So we got to remember that. Jesus has, for 2,000 years in every generation, been building up his church, an army to storm the gates of Hades by extending the kingdom of God, the life, the love, the power of Jesus in every generation. That's why we're here. That's our agenda. That's our purpose in the earth. And But let's talk about this idea of the gates of Hades just for a second. What are the gates of Hades? Well, in the ancient world, gates were the place of authority. Whenever you would go to a city, at the city gates, the elders of the city would gather there and they would decide... Decisions. They would make decisions and they would maybe set laws and they would come up with plans for the community. And that was the seat of authority. It would be like our city hall. So if you think about this, how many of you know that God has all authority in the earth? Jesus said, all authority be given to me. But Satan is always working to usurp the, the authority of God. And he wants to rob us of the authority that God has invested into us. And when Jesus says, the gates of Hades, he's talking about the where Satan is trying to usurp the authority of God in all of our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our church, even in society. He wants to set his own agenda that would... Uh, undo the will of God and the work of God and the purpose of God for every one of us. And when he uses the term Hades, he said, The gates of Hades shall not prevail against you. The, the word Hades in the Old Testament was the realm of spiritual death. Before Christ was raised from the dead, everyone who died went into the realm called Hades, where Jesus went and preached to them, and those who believed were let out of that captivity. And so think about it. What he's saying is, the gates is Satan trying to set his own agenda and authority over our lives, and Hades is the realm of death. Satan always deals in death. Jesus deals in life. And so what Satan is wanting to do in our lives is he's wanting to undo us. He's wanting to bring destruction, as I said, in our lives personally, in our families, in the body of Christ, and in society. And it's always toward the place and the point of death. And this is really important for us to understand. Because far too many of us believers are operating in the realm of death. We're living our lives, we're grappling with emotions, we're making decisions, we're behaving in ways that are bringing in death, and they're promoting death, and that's not your place, that's not my place. For many of us in the body of Christ even, Satan isn't under our feet, he's in our head. And this is why we have battle, this is why we have warfare. Warfare. And so what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 6 is he's trying to awake us to the reality of the warfare. Church, we are really at war right now. And he's wanting to awake us too to the consequences of that warfare. Depending on how I operate in my understanding of the truths of God's word, determine whether I am defeated in life or if I'm walking in victory. And so Paul is not only, talk, he's not only wanting to awake us, he's wanting to adjust our attitude. And that's what he talks about when he said, stand. Be strong in the Lord. Stand in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand in the armor of God. Because I want to tell you something. There are people today, there are some people that are just ignorant of the battle. They just don't, they, they have no understanding, they have no idea that they're in a battle, that they're in a warfare. There's others of us who have become negligent about it. There are still others of us who have stopped fighting because we're weary and worn out because of the warfare. But regardless of how we feel about it, church, it's still real. (laughs) It's still going on. And if we're going to see victory in our lives... We're going to have to get some attitude about it. Amen. We're going to have to, get, to, have to change our mindset. We need to get a spiritually renewed military mindset. And that brings me then back to this Old Testament passage. Because I love the Old Testament for things like this. Because it gives us a picture of what has been accomplished for us in the New Testament. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so we know the truth that we have the armor of God, we have the power of God, we have the strength of God, that we're in a warfare. And we don't fight in the physical dimension, but we look at the Old Testament and we look at those physical warfares and we glean from them truths of how to walk in the victory of Jesus Christ today. And so... The old, the Old Testament, or the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, and so I want us to look at this passage because, out of uh, First Chronicles chapter five, it's important for us to remember that the people of God had been promised the land; they had been given an allotted inheritance. It was their land. It was theirs for the taking, but it didn't happen overnight because the warfare is an ongoing reality in their life. But every once in a while, they would step up their game and they would realize that they're living in a land that the enemy is trying to come in and infiltrate in their lives and kind of slowly and subtly take over. And so every once in a while, they would rise up and realize that as we see in this passage here today. And they would go after it. And they they got a mindset for the battle. They got an attitude for it. And they made up their mind that they were going to fight for it. And so I want us to glean some simple truths from this passage. If we're going to have an attitude of victory, number one, if we're going to have an attitude of victory, we need to prepare ourselves responsibly for the warfare. Prepare responsibly for the warfare. Look at verse 18. I want you to see this with me. Verse 18 says, The sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 valiant men. Men able. Everybody say able. They were able to bear the shield, to take the sword, to shoot with the bow. They were skillful in warfare who went to war. They were able to go to war because they had become able to do so. They had taken the responsibility of their life to prepare themselves to face the enemy in their life so that they could overcome the enemy. They took responsibility to make the proper preparations and I know that in I I know that we just want God to fix it all to work it all out to make it all fit together and to take everything And we know God is good and we know God is faithful and we can suddenly begin to think that God's just going to take everything I don't have to do anything I don't have to prepare myself but I got to tell you church that's the lie That's exactly what Satan wants us to believe and accept and how he wants us to live our life. Listen, if you want to be victorious in warfare, you've got to step into the preparation. Get yourself ready to become a victor and a conqueror in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to tell you that these Israelites were born into a warfare. These, tri- these two and a half tribes were born into a warfare that had already existed. They, their fathers and their grandfathers had been fighting this war. And I just want to tell you that you and I, we were born into a cosmic conflict that has been going on for longer than you and I can even begin to imagine. And the designated fight site is planet Earth. God has His kingdom and His will that He wants to advance in, in the, into eternity. And you and I, like these people, were born into a cosmic warfare. You, you might say you were born to be a soldier. You were born for war. Come on now. I can wait all morning if you... Amen. You, you and I were born into this. And you know, we don't even realize this until you're born again. Because when you're born again, you start figuring out, life isn't just good for some and bad for people. Life is war. And there is an enemy trying to destroy us. And if we're going to be more than conquerors through him, there's some element of preparation on my part to be responsible, to up my game. We need to get into spiritual shape, church. It says here that these were valiant men. You know what it means to be a valiant man? It means to be a strong man. It means to be a mighty man. And the word though, before you get going too fast, that word valiant comes from a from a Hebrew word, a root word, that literally means pain, travailing. Do you know that you're not just born strong? You have to, listen, no pain, no gain. To become a valiant warrior in the kingdom of God, there's a birthing, there's a a travailing. You have to apply yourself. Just like when you want to lose weight, you've got to go through the pain of saying no to the cake. Come on. To be a valiant, mighty, strong warrior in the kingdom of God means that there's some travailing. To be valiant, I have to travail. There's some work. There's some effort on my part. i got to get myself in shape. i got to stay strong. I've got I to work myself out. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He, te- he told Timothy, he said, bodily exercise profits little. But godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Listen, look at that phrase, of the life that now is. Listen, God doesn't want you to just get the victory when you get to heaven. He wants you to have the victory in the life that now is. And he was saying, you know, physical exercise is good and that's great. And you get strength out of that and you can do more with that. But spiritually... We need to get ourselves in shape spiritually so that we can truly live in that life that now is. Hallelujah. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? Getting into spiritual shape takes work. It takes consistent training. We need to work ourselves out. And why do we need to do this? So that we are like them, able to bear the shield and the sword and to shoot the bow and to be skillful in war. To be able. You know what that means? They they worked at it. They applied themselves on how to use their equipment. They understood tactical warfare. Church, we need to get properly trained in our shield of faith. We need to get trained on how to walk in faith and waver not at the promise of God. We need to work out our faith. We need to learn how to pick up the shield of faith and to walk out into the battle in faith believing. Beyond the feeling, beyond what it feels like or what it looks like to be like Abraham who had a faith that wavered not at the promise of God. They were able not only to take up their shield of faith, but they were able also to take up the sword of God's word, the word of God. We need to get trained in the word of God. Now, I love the verse of Scripture that says that God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. How many of you God, that his word is sharp? It's a double-edged short sword. But let me just ask you, are you sharp with the word? Do you know how to handle the word? Are you and I really applying ourselves to the real understanding? I know a lot of people that come and sit and hear the word all the time. Or I know in the kingdom of God there are people that come to churches and sit and listen to the word all the time. But walk out and live in relative defeat in many areas of their lives. Because it is a double-edged sword. It is sharp. But, are you, but do you know how to work it? Amen. Did I touch on something there? Because it got real quiet in here. Can I tell you, I love I loved the scripture that says, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, says these words, If the axe is dull, and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. If you and I are not learning how to stay sharp in the word of God, we're just going to have to put more effort into trying to get victory. We're going to have to put more we're going to have to try to be work harder to get through this and to get over this and to get on to No, listen, if you and I would just learn how to use God's word. It's a double-edged sword. It gets it coming and going. Amen. I don't know why I'm so yelly today. We need to get properly trained, church. We need to get in spiritual shape. We need to get aggressive. This is all being responsible, preparing responsibly, because there's a a warfare going on, and if we're going to win, we have to prepare for it. We need to get aggressive. I love that line. He says, they were able to shoot with the bow. They learned how to shoot with the bow. And I was thinking about that because Paul doesn't use the bow and arrow in the New Testament. He talks about the sword. He talks about the shield. But I was thinking to myself, what what could the bow represent? And it could represent many things, but there was one story that came to my mind in the Old Testament. If you remember, Joash King Joash went to Elisha, who was dying. He was on his deathbed. And he knew that he was going to face the Syrian army in battle. And he went to Elisha to get confirmation. Is God with us or not? Are we going to win this or not? And the prophet Elisha said to King Joash, he he said a lot of things, but he told him, he he, he said, the Lord is going to give you victory, but you're going to have to stay with it. To get the victory. And he said. Strike. Take those arrows over there. And strike the ground. And so Joash. I'm sure in his mind thinking. Well what does this have to do with anything. Takes the arrows in his hand. And he goes over and he. Whack. 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 And Elisha said to him. Oh no. No. You should have struck the ground five or six times. But because you only struck it three, you're going to see initial victory. But you're going to see defeat down the road. And really what he was saying to him right there was, You don't have the urgency. You don't have the aggression. You don't have the fire and the passion within you. It's going to take commitment to the warfare. If you're going to get the victory. If you want to see victory in your life, you need to strike the ground and keep on striking the ground. Amen. Listen, church, nobody can do this for you. I, I read somewhere where uh, in modern day warfare, and this is, I don't, I don't have the numbers, but I read this when I was preparing one time about spiritual warfare, that they, that they say that there's a fairly high percentage of soldiers who rarely, or if ever, actually pull the trigger. They get trained to do it. They get broken down and built up to do it. But when they're actually on the field and they're in the combat, oftentimes a significant number of soldiers trained to do battle are not able Or are unwilling to pull the trigger. And I couldn't help but think of a spiritual parallel. For many of us. Who lack the aggression. And the passion. To stay with the fight. Till we get the victory. Amen. To have an attitude of victory. We need to number one prepare responsibly. Number two we need to engage strategically. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says they made war with the Hagarites, Jeter, Nafish, and Nodab. Now those names mean absolutely nothing to us. But with study, you get a background and all of those people, the Hagarites, Jeter, Nafish, and Nodab are all offspring or descendants of Ishmael. Ishmael was the actual firstborn son of Abraham, but he was not the son of promise. In fact, the Bible says he's the son of the flesh. And that's why eventually he was cast out of Abraham's house. Because after after Isaac was born, the son of promise, the son of the flesh kept teasing and tormenting Isaac. And he was only going to be a hindrance to the promise of God and to the plan of God. Not only for Abraham and not only for the nation of Israel, but for you and I. And so God said, now it's time to get rid of the flesh. Woo! Come on now. He said, you got to get rid of Ishmael. So that the son of promise, the son of the spirit, if you will, can rise up. And become all that God has destined him to become. Paul said in the New Testament, the flesh and the spirit are in conflict with one another. And here's what happened. Ishmael was cast out. But when Israel went in to take the possession of all that God had for them, You see the flesh creeping back in. You see the offspring. You see the the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of Ishmael back in the land and always being a thorn in the flesh, so to speak. Being a problem. Setting up strongholds. Trying to take dominion. Trying to establish their agenda over and against God's agenda for the nation of Israel. Now, I just want to remind us here today, and this is going to be good news. First John chapter 3, verse 8 tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Come on. Come on. Isn't that good news? Jesus came to destroy. Can I just remind us all here today that he is a defeated foe. Hallelujah. His days are numbered, and he knows his days are numbered. He knows he has but a short time. But that doesn't mean that he's going to give up easily and that he can't take advantage of our passivity because he can. He can try to undo the great things that God has given to us. It's, it's, and that here's what he does. He comes in through a deceiving spirit and he begins to try to establish strongholds that take us captive, that keep us in a cycle of defeat in our lives. Strongholds are those lies that we believe about our emotions, about our bitterness, about our anger, or about our addictions, about the choices we make, about the experiences we've had in our lives, or even about how we believe about what God says in His Word. He twists it. He'll twist it just a little bit, just enough to keep you sick. Come on now. And so, can I just remind us here today that most of the battles that we're facing are battles from within, not battles from without. I know that there's battles on the outside, but a lot of the battles that you and I are dealing with in our lives are more issues and things on the inside. It's the flesh trying to creep back in to your inheritance. And it's going to take strategy. Now, let me just... There's a lot more to strategy than what I'm going to share with you, but let me just kind of give you a couple that are in this passage. Number one. Number, the number one thing that we need to do is to pray. We need to pray. I, look at this. Look at what happened here. It says in, in verse, when they made war, in verse 19, it says, they made war. Can I tell you something? Sometimes you're, just, you're going to have to declare war. Come on now, you're going to have to declare the war. They made war. It says here, they made war. They they got their attitude on. They're like, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm over this. Anybody here ever been sick and tired of being sick and tired? At some point, you got to make war. And so here's what they did. And it says in verse 20, I love this. Right here in verse 20, it says... And they were helped against them. And the Hagarites were delivered into their hand. And all who were with them. Why? For they cried out to God. In the battle. He heeded their prayer. Because they put their trust in him. Prayer is a demonstration of your faith, your confidence, your trust in God. They knew that, hey, listen, they they became skillful. They were able to pick up the bow and arrow. They were able to learn how to work that shield and to work that sword. But they knew they couldn't win without God. They knew that. So you can memorize Scripture all day long, and that's good because you want to become sharp in handling the double-edged sword. But know this, there's no victory without God coming in and giving you the aid to overcome in the moment, in the moment. Because it says here, they cried out to the Lord, look at that little phrase, don't miss it, in the battle. When you're knee deep and in over your head, when you're going through the crisis in the moment, in the, in the, under the severity of the temptation or the deception, what in that moment, cry out to God. So key. So key. In the military, every platoon knows the importance of keeping the lines of communication open. Calling for reconnaissance. Let us know. We can't see what you can see. God, I don't see the things you see. Help me, give me understanding of the plot and the scheme and the wiles of the devil. Give me reconnaissance information. But not only is it for perspective, but it's for that reinforcement of power and strength. And one of these weeks, I'm going to talk about our. Allies, our assistance, the angelic warfare, but we need God to deliver us, and we 've got to stay in that place of prayer amen church but here's another here 's another important aspect to the strategy, engaging strategically when you go to war, realize that God is doing let me just say it this way. Sometimes we don't realize the battles that we're going through are actually for the advancement of our own life and for the kingdom of God. We just think it's bad stuff, and i got to figure out how to get through this, and God deliver me from this, and, and, we, and we kind of like compartmentalize. But no, no, listen. God is actually going to bring blessing and benefit, sometimes through the warfare and the battle that you and I are facing. Now listen, look at it. Look at what he says here. He says that they were helped in verse 20. And when God helped them, and God gave them the victory, look at verse 21. It says, Then they took away their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 of their sheep, and 2,000 of their donkeys, also 100,000 of their men, for many fell dead, because the war was God's war. And... They not only had a prayer in the battle, but they had the plunder of the battle. Now listen, I said it already, but we have no way of knowing that some of the battles we face are actually, for our benefit, God wanting to bring us through and give us plunder and for His ultimate glory. We sing the song around here with these words. You take... What the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. Come on. You take what the enemy meant for evil. Got a beat, you can dance to it. Come on. And you turn it for good, right? We sing that. But we have no way of thinking like, well, that means that God allows me to enter into warfare and battle because He wants to take what is evil and turn it for His good. And that's why He let me go through the warfare. Amen. We see this all through the Bible. Abraham fought a battle with 318 men for, to save Lot from being uh, taken captive by a confederate of nations, and when he won, the, he brought all the spoils, and Melchizedek said, man, Abraham, you are blessed. And Abraham gave a tenth of all the spoil. God blessed him, and he turned around and blessed God. We see also in the life of David, David, the Bible says he was able to, To build up all this reserve to build the the temple of God because of all the spoils of war. We even see this with Queen Esther when the nation of Israel was about to be wiped out because of, of Haman. And after God exposed the lie and the deception of Haman, the king turned around and gave Esther his mansion. Come on, man. God is good. He really is. We know through the cross what looked like utter defeat. Jesus stripped Satan of the spoils of his dominion and his darkness in the lives of people. And the point I'm trying to make for you and I today is that sometimes we we need to be strategic. God was blessing the Gadites and the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. God was... Bringing from the, the world of darkness into the kingdom blessing because they went to war. Sometimes we go to war to get all that God has for us. And we can't forget that. And so God will take the evil that we're going through and then he'll turn it around. And that will become our strongest testimony. And that will have an anointing of delivering power that will help other fe- people find freedom. This is so important to know. When the Bible says we are more than conquerors, I think this is what it means. We are already a conqueror in Jesus Christ, but we're more than that. God gives us the spoils of war. He blesses us through the battle. Amen. And then there's one final thought out of this passage that we have. To have an attitude of victory. We, number one, we need to prepare, for, pre- prepare responsibly. Engage strategically. And number three, we need to occupy faithfully. Now look at verse 22. After all this, it said that the battle belonged to God. The war was God's. And it says they dwelt in their place until the captivity. They dwelt in their place until The captivity. Now that phrase they dwelt in their place means that word literally dwelt means to sit, to remain, to abide in their inheritance, in their dominion, in their place of authority, in their in their blessing. The enemy tried to creep in and establish stronghold which would then water down their commitment and their faith and bringing them into cycles of defeat. But no, they took authority over it and then they occupied the land. Now, that word occupy is a military term. We hear it in occupation. And I, whatever you may think about the military forces of the United States, one of the things that sometimes we in America will tend to complain about is why do we have to police the whole world? Why do we have to police the whole world? Well, I don't know. Whatever you think, whether we should be doing that or not, I just want to tell you, there's a lot of parts of this world that are really bad, and they're really dark, and they could use a little help once in a while. And so it's always good, I mean, in, in especially in... in uh, very oppressive societies that someone come in and and try to bring some order in that situation. But putting that aside, in a sense, where it relates to the world, don't you think, here's what Jesus said. He said in Luke, he said, occupy till I come. The word occupy literally means do business, do my business, do my work Until I come back. This world is messed up. And in the spirit realm. There's a lot of evil regime. And Jesus has left us in the earth. To extend the kingdom of God. To expand the will and the purpose. And the agenda of God. And when we get victories. In our lives. In our families in our cities, in our nation. We need to possess it. Not in a physical sense of dominating people, of course not. But we need, to, we need to have a possessing kind of, an occupying kind of presence in the earth, in the love, the life, and the power of Jesus Christ. That everywhere I go, I'm not here to oppress society, oppress people. I'm here to set the oppressed free. And to do the business of Jesus. To show the love of Christ. To share the truth of God's word. To, to be a vessel where God can empower me and work through me to bring liberty and healing to the world around me. We need to glorify. Amen. We need to to do this faithfully. I just want to encourage us today. Possess your possessions. Amen. You've heard the phrase that they say if you're not going forward, you're going backward. If If you're not possessing, you're being possessed. Our victorious Christian life is not static, we need to possess all that God has given to us and take responsibility for it and take dominion in it and take authority over it. Amen. And it requires this constant state of preparedness, being strategic in our engagement, but also being faithful. When Paul said, neither give place to the devil, that's not just about Make sure you don't do the wrong thing. But we also neither give place to the devil when we're about doing the God thing. When we're doing what the Lord wants us to do, it closes the door. to satanic power. Amen. Amen. Let me also say this on a personal note. I think we should get her to the piano, and then I'll shut up. On a personal note, I want to encourage us. I want to just say it this way. Can I say it more personally? Fulfill your purpose. We all love that scripture. We all love that scripture that says that God works all things together for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. We love that. We quote that, oh, you know, when we're going through a bad time, you know, God's got a purpose and it's just going to work out. You know, whatever's going to be is going to be. But we don't read the rest of the story. The next verse is, and here's the purpose of God. That we me, you, and our life and our living, our choices, our decisions, our ministries be conformed to the image of Christ. Well, wait a minute. You mean it isn't just about Good things happening at the right time in my life. Well, it can involve that. But really, ultimately, the good things come through the transformation of my attitude, of my living, of my activities being conformed to the image of Jesus. Where I think like Christ, I talk like Christ, I operate like Jesus. Because I have a purpose, and the purpose is all wrapped up in Jesus. It's not wrapped up in my personal agenda. Amen. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. Occupy in your world by fulfilling your purpose. Paul said to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, He says, but you, Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's what you do. Well, what is everybody else going to do? It doesn't matter what everybody else is going to do. What are you going to do? Listen. Listen. What ministry is the Lord Jesus Christ given to you that's in His image and after His likeness? What has the Lord called you to? Fulfill it. Do it. This is how we neither give place to the devil. I'm not saying that Satan won't come in. I'm not saying that there won't be those attacks. I'm not saying that we won't feel the heat of warfare from time to time. but, But he... Cannot get a foothold where we are fulfilling the ministry of the Lord. Just like he can't get a foothold if I'm constantly walking in forgiveness and not harboring anger and bitterness in my soul. What is your ministry? Fulfill it. This is warfare. Oh, I thought warfare was, you know, binding the powers of darkness. Well, we, you know, there's a place for all of that. But really, the warfare is the enemy is trying to keep you and I from doing and fulfilling what the Lord has appointed us to. We need, a, we need to get a new attitude. We need, a, we need an attitude for the battle. Hey, man, let's stand together. Let's stand together. Hey, it's time to declare war. It's time to declare war. Where do you need to declare war? Let's, let's, bring, this, let's bring this down to us individually. What battle are you facing right now? You need to make up your mind. Make, it, make up your mind. I'm going to declare war. I'm declaring war on this right now. Stop making excuses for it. And declare war on it. So Lord, right now, as we conclude our time together here today, we come to the altar of your presence, Lord. Because an altar is where we get altered in our thinking and in our choices and in our living, we come to the altar of your presence, Lord. God, we pray that you would reveal to us the battle that we're in and the victory that lies ahead. God, show us how to walk in your victory. Show us, Lord, how to plunder the resources of darkness turning the evil for good. Show us how to do that, Lord. Show us how to do that, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. God, we declare war on the battle of emotions. We declare war on the dysfunction of our thinking. We declare war on the hang-ups in our relationships. We declare war Lord, on the passivity of our own heart, we declare war right now. We are not going to give place to the devil. God, renew our mind to be victorious. We pray in Jesus' name. And the church says amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a great day.